Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast, where today I interviewed Brianna Labuskis, uh, the author of A Familiar Sight. Hey! How are you? I'm good, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to do this. Oh no, thank you for reading and liking it. I'm oh my god, so yeah, I was like, I literally finished it in like three days because I was hooked. That's awesome. You're actually, like, one of the first handful of people who have read it, like, outside of my editors and stuff, so it's it's cool to get, like, good feedback. Yeah, I actually, I love NetGalley. Like, I came across it from, like, reading another blog, and then I was like, oh my god, this is so cool, because I've read a lot of books that haven't even, like, come out yet. It's wild to me that it, like, it's awesome because it gets, you know, buzz going and all sorts of stuff. But yeah. Like, when I discovered it, I was like, I could have been reading books early. <laughs> oh, I know. That's how I felt, too. I've read, like, probably, like, psychological thrillers is probably, like, my number one favorite genre. Yeah. And, like, I've read, like, so many, um, like, books in the last maybe, like, couple months. And I was like, well, my husband, like, won't get mad because I'm spending money on books now. <laughs> It's such a nice program. Just, like, it works for everybody, I feel like. Oh, yeah. No, I've told a lot. Like, because I, obviously, I just started my podcast, like, a month ago. And then, um, like, I have had my blog now for, since October. So, like, I try to, like, get people to look at it and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And plus, like, it's such a genre that you just can, like, read really quickly in. Because, like, you you end up getting hooked and stuff. Oh, yeah, I know. It's definitely a genre you can go through a lot of books really quickly. I yeah, I'm like. definitely, like, one of those people that, like, tried to, like, find out who did it, like, from, like, the very beginning, even in, like, true crime episodes, and I'm, I don't know, like, I'm pretty, like, good at, like, like, oh, if it's, it's not this person, it's this person, but yeah, that's, that's how, that's what I like to do, even when I'm, like, trying to read it. Yeah. Do you feel like you usually can tell, like, that, like before they yeah I think I can tell more like in like tv series than like books Mm -hmm. but like depending on like the books then yeah like I'm pretty good at finding out who did it but some people I don't know it gets you sometimes you you like think it is like all the way through and then you get to the end and you're like oh I was wrong the whole time (laughs) what I find funniest is um on tv shows when they have like a special guest star and you're like oh well (laughs) he's obviously (laughs) that yeah (laughs) <laughs> I know. I think my favorite true crime show is probably, like, Criminal Minds. Oh, I love Criminal Minds. I do, too. Yeah, I like CSI, too, but it, it's kind of, like, um, I don't know. It's just, like, kind of stuff that, like, doesn't really happen that fast, like, with all the testing. So I kind of like the, the Criminal Minds aspect of, like, them, um, like, talking about, like, personalities and stuff like that. That Yeah, that's, I like Reed and Derek. They're probably my favorite characters. Me, too. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, like, you said you were into, like, true crime and stuff. Like, do you watch a lot of TV shows or try to, like, read that genre or write that genre a lot? I definitely, well, I definitely read the genre, like, probably more than than I do anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, that's just kind of, like, to keep up with what's going on, the trends and stuff. Yeah. A trend that I think is really cool that's starting, and I don't think I'm gonna be doing it anytime soon but I think it's really cool and really well done is when people incorporate have a main character who is a podcaster and Mm -hmm. like a true crime podcaster and then they're investigating and they're like 
mixing in the different mediums of like, oh, it's a script, like in the middle of the book or, you know, snippets of the podcast in the middle of the book, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of watching like TV stuff, like love Criminal Minds. Like I've watched that whole series multiple times. Oh, I know there's so many Um, seasons, but like I've gone back and watched it like quite a few times actually. I don't know. It's like some, for some reason, there's just like these favorite episodes. Have you, do you remember the one where, um, it was a kid and he was worried he was like a psychopath and he was like killing prostitutes? Yes. Oh, that's like one of my favorite read episodes because he like, um, he said like he, he like connected with the kids so much and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, That's probably one. That's like, that's like one of the first couple seasons, I think. And that's really crazy that I know that, but no, (laughs) no, I uh, it was really early on, and I and the that guest star was Anton. His last name, but he was fairly famous, and then tragically died. Um, But he was such a good actor; he brought that character like just he hit that character perfectly. Yeah, he was really good. Concern, yeah. Um, And for podcasts, I love I love the ones that do the entire podcast itself is the crime. So, like, mm-hmm. I, like there are podcasts that are, like, every episode is a different murder that they talk about. Mm-hmm. I tend to, like, the serialized ones that are, like, okay, here's eight episodes about this one person, and then they go on and stuff. Yeah, see, I'm, like, I am kind of the opposite. I kind of, like, one case. Because for me, yeah. like, I've listened to quite a few other ones that are, like, one case. Um, but I kind of, like, find myself, like going to other podcasts before I get through like for like one the one cases unless I'm like really hooked like there was one that I forget what it's called but it was uh I saw it on like ID it was like still a mystery or whatever so the case wasn't like resolved or whatever but they obviously like know who did it and uh it was like really interesting I'll have to find it but yeah, it was, I, I really like those kind of podcasts, but I think a lot of podcasts do, I try to do, like, unheard or underreported cases, because there are so many, um, like, podcasts that do, like, John Bonet, um, OJ Simpson, stuff like that, so I'm like, yeah, I like listening, but, and that's just a lot of research, too, because yeah. I have a full-time job, so I can't always, like, do all my research and stuff. yeah. I like ones sometimes that go into, like, what the police did wrong, like, even mm. if they know, like, who did it, like, that kind of helps with me for, like, writing, especially, too, and being like, okay, well, these procedures, yeah. like, and as, as you mentioned OJ, but it's, like, mm-hmm. apparently they did everything wrong in that case, like, the police, and so, like, he actually inspired, like, a lot of different changes in how people process scenes and things like that, so I think that's, like, mm-hmm. super fascinating. Yeah, that's actually, like, one thing that this this podcast um that I'm talking about like the the police thought it was like a suicide but it was like it couldn't be a suicide you know like those cases where you're just like no come on yeah I love that if you remember let me know yeah I know I definitely will I'll email it to you when I when we're done um because yeah it was just so crazy I finished it with like there's only like nine or ten episodes maybe um the case is like Christian Archid I don't even know his name. It's, like, a really long name, but... And, like, his parents are interviewed on it and stuff, and I just feel like was so heartbroken for, like, his mom because she, you know, broke down several times on it. And I was like, oh. That's so hard. I 
I find it really hard to listen to ones that aren't solved because I'm like, because mm, I'm like, <laughs> I really need to know what happened. Come I on. I started watching. I got it, like I think it's on Netflix. They put um, like unsolved cases or something on Netflix. Oh yes, unsolved mysteries. Uh huh. Yeah, I was like, that sounds so perfect for me. So I started watching it, and like every time I would get to the end, I'd be like. <laughs> I know. I kind of feel bad because I skip some episodes. I do that. I I like read the description and I'm like, oh, there's yeah. one that yeah. looks better. I'm like, I'll watch this one instead. <laughs> and I'm like, I just because that's how I, that's how I kind of find like my, my cases for my blog. I yeah. watch a lot of like ID shows, but I I mean I watch Oxygen too. But I've heard so many like things about Oxygen that a lot of the things that they put in the shows aren't, like, 100% accurate, so I'm, oh, like, really? mm-hmm. yeah, like, a lot of, like, those documentaries that they put on there, I've heard, like, they've come, come under fire because they're not accurate. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, and I watch a lot of true crime, so, like, I, I've never been, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, something that I wouldn't believe, but I guess it's true, so, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so for, for your book that I read, uh, did a a familiar site, I probably should tell the, say the title, but, um, did you have to do a lot of research because a lot of the characters are like super complex? Yeah, I think it's been my most researched, research heavy book that I've Mm -hmm. written because, um, well, so the main character is a sociopath and, Mm -hmm. um. I just, it's hard to write when you have, like, an an internal story that, you know, you have for yourself to write someone who doesn't really have an internal story, or she tells herself it, but it's not real, Uh Um, and so I wanted to do her justice, because I think it's, she makes the book, right, so I, um, I just did a ton of research on emotional intelligence and sociopaths, and um, there's just a lot out there, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, people have different thoughts and it's hard because it's all personality based and when you're interviewing sociopaths, they're like lying. And so it's kind of like a difficult thing to gather research on. One of the main sources that I used was, um, confessions of a sociopath and I'm going to forget the name. Um, but it was written by a woman who is a self-proclaimed sociopath and, um, it's kind of funny because if you go and you read the reviews and they're like, well, there's contradictory, contradictory stories in this part of the book, in this part of the book, and she must be lying. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> of course she is. Like, that's yeah. part of the interesting thing is getting to read how she presents herself more so than, like, being like, oh, this is a factual story of her life. It's mm-hmm. more, it was really interesting to see the way that she think, thought and the way that she connected things. Um, and I think the biggest point was that you know, not all sociopaths are murderers. And so a lot of them just exist out in the world. Um, I don't know if I got it in there, but there was a really cool story about this guy who was doing, and you might've even heard of this, but this guy was doing brain scans and um, on, he was looking for dementia. He was looking for a connection between dementia and something else. And he kind of worked his way into uh, antisocial personality disorders, which is the umbrella. and somehow he did a brain scan on himself and he was looking at the brain scan and he was like, oh, this person's a sociopath. And then he realized it was his own scan, brain scan. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and so then he like, started putting things together in his life and he's like, oh yeah, like 
I do get fired probably more than like other people do or like I've broken up with more people like you know lovers have told me that I'm hard to get deal with and stuff like that but some people don't even know like they don't know that they're different than other people and mm-hmm. so it, it's definitely a spectrum and so that was kind of interesting to be able to try to dig into where that was because I needed her to be at least some way not a crazy person <laughs> like yeah. she can't you know like she you can't read about a sociopath the whole book who wants to you know who you don't like and so I kind of needed to have a little bit of an understanding of empathy and so I think it was nice to be able to find examples of that in Mm -hmm. the research yeah I loved like the I loved like the dynamic between her like and her dad or like her parents especially but like her dad it was always like just like there was like little spots where it would be like super chilling because you have you forget that she was like eight or something right or what or teenager at that point of yeah. I think it went through, like, different ages or whatever, but, um, yeah, yeah I was, like, oh, it was so chilling. It kind of reminded me of the movie Orphan, almost. Obviously not, like, the whole, like, adult thing, but, yeah. <laughs> I was, that's, what, that, that's, like, the first thing that popped in my mind when I started reading it. I was, like, oh, this kind of oh, reminds so cool. me of Orphan for some reason, I, but. I loved the trope. I love the whole book started because I love the trope of a psychopath kid. Like, I just, I love mm-hmm. it so much, and I'm, like, I love reading it. I love watching TV shows about it, etc. But I didn't feel like I had a, I didn't have a story that was like the psychopath kid killed somebody. But then I kept thinking, and I was like, how easy would it be to frame? Like, how mm-hmm. easy would it be to get away with murder? Like, if you yeah. have a psychopath kid, you know. So um, that's kind of how the whole story started. But Viola was hard to write. She, you gotta just be like super creepy, and I don't know, little girl creepy things scare me <laughs> oh I know like the whole like dolls like yeah. that thing creeps me out now because it's like oh I used to love dolls obviously but like now they put it in every horror movie or like crime show and so it makes it like I can't even look at a doll without being like oh my god <laughs> oh I went on a I did a tour maybe like last year or something to like a, like an old an old house like, like yeah. they redid um and there was a whole room of just those Victorian dolls, porcelain dolls. Yeah. And it was just, I'm talking like hundreds in this little tiny room. And I was like, do people like, do people get scared to come in here? And she's like, oh yeah, our staff like moves them around to freak people out. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun though. Like doing that yeah. to like creep people out. I would, I don't think I would ever be able to work somewhere like that though. No, I was like, I literally would not be able to come into this room at night. No. It was terrifying. But yeah, like little girls moving in weird ways or like doing weird things like freaks me out. <laughs> oh, I know. And it's like, it's so, it's actually kind of sad because it's like dolls are supposed to be so like innocent, yeah. but they're really not anymore. <laughs> I know. It's like almost that contrast is like what makes it the spookiest. Like they are supposed to be innocent. They're like glassy dead eyes just freak me out. <laughs> um so do you like to like write like one book or do you like to write like sequels or so Gretchen might this one might be the start of a series um which would be cool uh I haven't yet to this point done a series before Mm -hmm. um and so I'm actually working on the second book right now and it's hard like it's hard because you have to incorporate everything that you put in the first book but not so much that if someone's reading it next that Mm -hmm. you know they're gonna get bored and then you have to be able to bring people in who are starting with the second book and um I'm actually 
uh, it's going to be Gretchen's case. So it's going to be like when she was a kid, like, so they're going to go back and investigate that. Oh, that's um, so that can kind of be hard. And also to kind of maintain the voice. I wrote mm-hmm. the first draft of the, um, a familiar slave last spring. So I've done things between that time. And so you kind of lose a little bit of the voice. You kind of mm-hmm. have to sink back into it and try to find it again. Yeah. So it's a challenge, which is kind of cool. I, I've been doing standalones, which are their own challenge in themselves, because you have to kind of make people care for one book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was kind of thinking that when I was reading it. I was like, that'd be cool to like, because you go into like all the characters within depth too because Gretchen is just as like complex as like Viola is so I was wondering about that but yeah that'll be exciting because when does a familiar site actually come out uh this summer so not until July okay yeah no I see I kind of like when I read books early I'm like ooh, I get to read it earlier than everyone else I know and it is like fairly um yeah, it feels a little early for people to be reading that. But yeah, it went up on that galley and I was just like, oh, like you get so nervous for like actual readers to look at it. I know. And I, do you read a lot of like comments or like reviews and stuff or do you stay away from um, that? I tend to stay away from it. What I do is I'll usually read like the first handful because mm-hmm. I think that gives you a good sense of what's connecting with people and what's mm-hmm. not. And so um, I, you see common themes. So some people just don't like books and that's fine. Like it's not for everybody, but some people will be like, Oh, it was slow pacing in the beginning or this didn't make sense or whatever. And you can take that away with you as something that you can work on. Um, I think when you start reading every single review, it starts getting to be like in your gets in your head. So, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of try to get like a sense of what people are saying and then just leave it alone. Yeah, I know. Um, obviously, like, my blog has only been out for a few months, but, like, I have comments on stuff, and, like, I haven't, I haven't, like, seen anything bad or whatever, but the other day I got, like, a comment on one story, and this, this person was like, oh, this girl is crazy. I'm like, ooh, let's not victim blame here. <laughs> That's, like, one of my things where I'm like, ooh, let, and I've, I've seen, like, shows kind of do that, too. They don't really, like, directly come out with it, but they 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 do it like subtly and I'm like ooh, let's not victim blame this person is dead like yeah I didn't like that too much (laughs) I hear you I think I I mean I will be talking to somebody in the same sense where we'll be watching like a crime show and they're like oh they shouldn't have done that and I'm like they're dead like they (laughs) maybe the killer shouldn't have killed them oh I know (laughs) I'm like maybe it's the person that killed them's fault yeah I know it's so ingrained and it's like even for people who have really good intentions it's still I mean I like I think we're just in the society like we're raised to do stuff like that and so it's like you have to constantly fight against it and um I think just yeah, it's interesting how people are kind of trained to think that way. Like, the victim did something wrong. It's like... Oh, I know. It's so... It's And then it, and then it makes... Because, like, police do that, too. And that's, like, another thing that we were talking about with, like, police. And I'm like, just, like, work on the case until you have, like, a reason to believe that, like, it's not going anywhere or, like... Because there are people that, like, have disappeared and then they're actually still alive. And that's kind of where a thing, it's like, okay, this person this person really is at fault. Um, yeah. But the police, I think, need to start taking cases more seriously because, you know, there's a lot of cases where the police are probably wrong. 
<laughs> so true. And I feel like the, especially with like, um, like BIPOC victims, especially, and mm-hmm. like, you know, Native American women were disappearing at an extraordinarily terrifying rate um, in the past like decade or so. And mm-hmm. like the statistics are literally bananas um and no one was paying attention to it like the police were ignoring it um I mean especially like in Alaska where police don't have to have any training they're like literally the criminals and they're being in charge of these this pandemic so anyways tangent but (laughs) oh I know sometimes I just find myself like ranting because like sometimes yeah like after you watch true crime like so much there's like certain things where you're kind of like you're just so mad about and (laughs) Like, I always, in my blog, I always go into, like, my personal thoughts at the end of each case, because, like, some blogs don't do that. They just talk about the case, and that's it. But there's so many times where I'm like, all right, let's not victim blame. This case could have, like, been solved so much, like, sooner if the police just, you know, worked on it. Yeah. <laughs> have you watched um, You'll Be Gone in the Dark? The Yes. Yes, the I have. Yeah, there's, um, there's a podcast I listen to that Billy Jensen is in. And, okay. um, like, I, I love him. He's, like, um, but yeah, and, uh, I want to read the book, too, because, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I really liked, and oh, that case is just so crazy. It's so wild, and it's, like, they should have, I mean, that was 50 rapes. Like, they should have solved, they should have solved it, like. <laughs> oh, no, that's how I feel about the John Bonet case, too. Yeah. I yeah. just don't understand why that case isn't solved yet. I know it's so much attention and it's it's kind of crazy that yeah yeah and it's like we have all this technology and all this focus on true crime and you still have cases that are just not solved oh I know um so like what is your writing schedule like do you write like all day (laughs) yeah so I actually just in the summer moved to full-time writing Mm -hmm. I was um I had a full-time job beforehand. So what I, and that full-time job, I started at 4.30 in the morning, oh and, <laughs> which was really hard. I don't know how I did it, anymore. but um, I worked for a, a newsroom, so we put out stuff early in the morning, um, but it also let me, I would start work at 4.35 and then work until about 2, and so it gave me my entire afternoons, essentially, to write. So I would always um, force myself to write at least two hours a day. So during the week, I would write two hours a day. And then if I wasn't doing anything on the weekends, I would do just all day and just write. Um, So it was definitely difficult. um, But it was also kind of easy to keep myself on schedule because I was like, well, I have to do it. Like, I have to get it done in this amount of time. Mm -hmm. Now with more time, I kind of am a little bit more loosey-goosey. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like writing today. I'll just, like, go on a hike or something. Um, So it's kind of interesting. I'm still probably writing about the same amount, but I feel a little less disciplined about it in a way. Yeah, that's that's good one. Like, that's how I feel, too. Like, when I don't, like, force myself to do it, then I actually, like, want to do it more. But I feel like right now, because I have a full-time job, too, so I kind of have to, like, force myself to, so I can get everything done. Yeah, no, I almost feel like it's, like, a paradox of some sort, where it's, like, the less time you have, the more effective you are at using it. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, like expand to fill the time that you have so it's interesting but yeah I write kind of like when I uh am feeling it and also just you know sometimes you just write to get words and then like once you have words down you're like okay I can go back and edit them and that's fine 
Um, but to just keep the story moving forward, I kind of tend to do that. I write very quickly. So I usually can put out a book in about two months oh, wow, or like finish cool. the first draft in two months. Um, but cool. I do a lot of editing. So I always, I always tell people my first draft is like a really detailed outline. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> it changes so much and I add a lot to it. Um, I usually add about 20% to it. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, I won't, like, take uh, too much of your time, but you said that you were you were in California, so, like, what is it like with the pandemic there? Like, has it changed your writing or anything? Um, I think just giving me more time where I can be, like, I'm going to go do something else. Um, I think that does, that does um, affect it, where I'm like, okay, well, today's a writing day because I can't go on a hike or whatever. It's mm-hmm. actually snowing right now, even though I'm in the desert. Oh, my God, really? Um, which is kind of crazy. I know. Um... But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. <laughs> I got distracted by the snow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, um, it is a little crazy. I try not to, I, I feel like I try to be pretty cautious about, um, lots of all the COVID stuff just because the ICUs are so um, packed right now. Mm-hmm. So I go get groceries and hike and that's essentially what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that I think a lot of people and for the first part of the pandemic, I could not write. Like I wrote cause I had to, I forced myself. I was on a deadline. It was actually a familiar site. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote all of March. I think I had about 30,000 words that I wrote and I, cut them all because they were terrible because <laughs> I couldn't concentrate I was just like refreshing Twitter and like refreshing news sites and like yeah. my mind and like my my sister works in the ER and so back oh. then we just like, didn't know anything that was happening mm-hmm. so it's like panicked anxious and I was writing and it was all bad <laughs> um but then after that I kind of got rid of all those words and kind of calmed down a little bit um and then it actually gave me like way more time to write so I don't know it's kind of like a balancing act yeah because california is like really bad right or i mean maybe bad right now, yeah. yeah and uh the governor is apparently lifting stay-at-home orders right today and i'm like but oh. the icus are still like really full yeah um really interesting because like cause I'm, are you in texas i'm in san antonio yeah so yeah. here it's not really like mandatory to stay home the only thing that's like bad so I work downtown so like it's still pretty crazy um like on the weekends like people just don't care here because the only thing that's shut down is like bars that don't serve food but like in San Antonio especially downtown because I work on like near the Riverwalk and um so like every place sells food so people still walk around without masks like you have to wear one when you go into a restaurant but other than that like you can walk around without it and people like because I work in a hotel um so like the hotel is like still pretty crazy on weekends and there's still people that come down to like the front desk that aren't wearing masks and I'm like kind of at the place where I'm like over telling people to wear masks because I'm like okay and people react really badly like I've gotten like screamed at just for telling someone to wear a mask oh my gosh and they're endangering you oh yeah and And I'm like I don't want to get COVID (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's like, why can't adults just police themselves? I don't understand. <laughs> I know. I always like tell my, my husband and my parents and they're like, just don't tell people anymore because it's like, you don't want to like, 
because someone could react like even worse than screaming at you and I'm because Texas is kind of scary sometimes that's such a scary thought I know and I'm like too and I'm like I watch a lot of true crime I know that people snap no matter what I'm like I don't really feel like I like to report crime I don't like I don't want to be part of a crime (laughs) you don't want to be a victim oh no just for a mask I've read some crazy stories where people like freak out at other people and like I think I read like some woman got stabbed for <gasps> saying to wear a mask. It was like I don't remember where it was, but it was like at a store or something. I'm like, oh, oh god, Lord. oh people are going, yeah, bad. <laughs> people are snapping and uh, they are. it's crazy. <sighs> All right, so yeah, just to wrap it up, like, where can our my listeners um find like more information about your books or about you? Are you on? Yeah, like, sure. So I'm on all social media, social media essentially under mm-hmm. Brie Labuskis. Um, so kind of easy to find. Okay. <laughs> and then um my website's BrianaLabuskis.com. So Perfect. also easy. Well, thank you so much for um talking oh, to me. This was this really was so fun. fun. Yes, and I will um, try to find that podcast and give yeah, it, to send it to you. Me. Yes, thank you so much. Oh yeah, good luck. Bye. Right, bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this interview. Please check out Brianna's book, A Familiar Sight. And as always, I'll be back next Monday with a brand new episode. Thank you, and remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.